you said it. Um, hey, welcome. My name is Caleb. Glad you're here. Glad you could make it tonight. Um, glad you could be a part of tonight. So we're on the series. We're talking about, um, uh, it's called I Am. We're talking about the things that Jesus said that he was. Now, whether you believe in Jesus or you don't believe in Jesus um, in this space right now, I just want to challenge you that who Jesus said he was has everything to do with the position he begins to play in our life. So, so the whole reason, the whole point we want to, we, we, the, the whole purpose of us pointing you to scripture to say, let me just tell you who Jesus said he was so you can make a judgment call on what position Jesus should then play in your life. So I just want you to hear, no, no one's going to put him in your life in a certain position. No one's going to do that for you. You've got to individually and alone put Jesus in the position, in a certain position in your life. Now, now whether you've done it intentionally or not, hear this. Jesus is already in a certain position in your life. <clears throat> Maybe he's riding shotgun in your life and you're, you're driving and, he, and he's over here and occasionally he like, chirps like yo car coming and, and and maybe you tell him to shut up maybe you keep maybe you obey him like whatever uh maybe you left him on the side of the road he you just rolling and you come you come to church every every sunday or maybe on wednesday nights or or whatever you do and, and you drive by jesus and you're like bro there he is again there he is again maybe like you shifted over he's driving the car and and you're riding, but you're kind of buckled up because you don't trust him fully, right? You're like, eh, he could wreck it. Whatever he's, wherever he's at, you've put him in a position in your life. So really our hope is then you would shift the position to a more accurate place, that, that he would be in the right place in your life. And so in John, uh, in the book of John, in the first like 15 chapters, Jesus gives us seven statements where Jesus says, hey, here's who I am, and here's who I am, and here's who I am. And he does that seven times telling us different attributes, different parts of who Jesus is. And so we're going to jump into that tonight. I'm going to pray for us real quick, um, and then we're going to do that, and then we'll go uh, into community groups. So pray with me. God, we love you. We thank you for tonight. Lord, we thank you for uh, just the blessing of, of being here in this place. Lord, I thank you for the friendships that are here. Lord, I thank you for um, the ways that you've called people um, to unity in this place. Lord, I, I lift up those that, that aren't here tonight, whether they're sick or um, they were anxious about coming or, or whatever their, their reasoning was. Um, God, that you would be with them. Lord, tonight you would give us focus, that you would remove distraction. God, that you would remove um, the things that, that really want to pull our attention, that you would um, uh, prevent us from being distracted even by one another. God, that you would give us focus that, that goes beyond um, our normal ability, that, that we would find ourselves more in tune and more engaged with your word, not even with what I'm saying, but Lord, with your word than, um, than we have previously. And so, God, would you, would you do that? Would your spirit go, go before us? Lord, if students came in this room bringing heavy things and hard things, Lord, would, uh, God, would you just bring healing? Would you bring resolution? Um, would you bring peace? Um, Lord, would, would you create space in our hearts and minds to, to receive truth tonight? I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> hey, so... Um, just real quick, I want to hit again, man, Blake may have said, uh, he talked a little bit about the, the retreat coming up this weekend. 
I'm really excited about what God's going to do in that. And so if you're kind of on the fence or, or money's an issue for you, uh, please let us know. We, we, don't, we don't want money to be an issue, but if you're on the fence of like, man, I don't know if I should go or shouldn't, on a soul level, like let me just hit you on the baseline, on a soul level, it won't be bad for you. It could only be good. And so I would just encourage you, you take an inventory of, of really the, the health of your soul. Like, like really, man, if you really got down to the depths of it, man, how are you doing? If it's not super awesome, man, this may be a place you should be at um, to provide some kind of refreshing. <laughs> so anyway, uh, in college, I, uh, I had to mow yards. I had a lawn business um, where I would mow uh, like 20, 25 yards a week uh, because my parents were like, yo, um, what we're going to give you to, for college is a firm handshake and a quick like send off. And I was like, yeah, but where's the money? And they were like, bro, nah, we ain't got none of that. And I was like, okay. So <clears throat> I had this lawn business and that's the way I pay for my rent. That's the way I pay for my books. That's the way I pay for my food because I was mowing yards. Well, one time I was mowing yards, a hurricane was kind of blowing in in Galveston. So 90 miles south, hurricane blows in, winds gusting pretty hard where I was at. And uh, I have my headphones in and I hear like, like, uh, like this chirping sound like an animal chirping. And I'm like, man, what is that? And, and so I back my lawnmower back up. It's running. I back my lawnmower back up and I see there's a baby squirrel on the ground. It had apparently gotten blown out of the tree. I'd run it over with my lawnmower. <clears throat> yeah, crazy. Uh, here's a picture of the squirrel. Totally alive. Didn't actually hit it with the blades. Otherwise, this would be a picture of like 25 pieces, but it's not. It's just a picture of one live squirrel. Those are actually not my fingers. Uh, I didn't just get my nails done. Uh, that was a friend of mine in college. She was feeding the squirrel. Um, turns out baby squirrels are chick magnets. So guys, I'm going to leave that for free. Uh, catch a baby squirrel. Ladies, love you. So uh, me, yeah, taking notes. He's like, bro, I'm taking notes now. Um, me and the squirrel became really close. Uh, deep relationship with the squirrel, loved the squirrel. The squirrel, I would say, loved me. Um, it was really solid relationship um, for about a week. And then the squirrel called it quits on life, pulled the ripcord. Yeah, yeah. I, I had nothing to do with it. I just woke up and I was like, little buddy, Nah, he's gone. He's dead. Uh, the squirrel died like a week later. Ladies left. That's what happened. They were like, where's your squirrel? I was like, he's dead. And they were like, well, see ya. And I was like, that's cool. So <clears throat> squirrel died. Take it to the vet. And I'm like, yo, man, I was trying to do all the things that I looked up online to feed this squirrel. And the vet was like, you're not that squirrel's mom. And I was like, that's true. I'm not. He said, there's not a lot of things that could make that squirrel stay alive other than his mom. Huh. He said, in fact, it doesn't really matter so much like what you would have done. There's really nothing you could have done. Um, it really matters who's taking care of it 
to provide it with what it needs that matters the most. You may have everything it needs, but you're not a mother squirrel to be able to administer the things that it needs in the right way. He says, man, in this squirrel's life, what really mattered was who was taking care of it. And the reason I share this with you is because I need you to understand that, that me and you aren't too different from this squirrel. That, that in life, a large part of the success and failures of our life really are, are dependent, especially middle school, especially high school, especially e- even a little into college, um, and it actually plays out your whole life, um, is really dependent on who is taking care of you. I, I think about... <clears throat> I think about that um, because instead of a squirrel, though, a majority of the time in God's word and in the Bible, when it talks about people and it compares people to something, it compares us to sheep. It says that you and I are, are not so much like sheep, but are like squirrels, but we're, we're a lot like sheep. And sheep, if you don't know, I, to, to be like a sheep is not good news for us. In fact, to be like a sheep is, is almost an insult. Um, if you don't know about sheep, let me, let me fill you in. Sheep are uh, maybe the dumbest animal to ever live, ever. Uh, a sheep, if I put it up here and I planted a little bit of grass and I just trailed that grass to the edge and maybe even put like a little clump on the ground, that sheep would eat its way off the, off the stage and break its neck legitimately. It wouldn't go around the stairs. Like, it wouldn't find a way. It would, it would eat its way off the stage and die. <laughs> in fact, a sheep, you don't see a lot of them in the wild because a sheep's wool continues to grow and continues to grow and continues to grow and continues to grow. It'll eventually begin to wrap around its face. It'll begin to impede its legs. So therefore, it cannot move and eat correctly. And then it dies. Now, now let's say for some reason the sheep didn't die of too much wool. Sheep can actually be scared to death. That literally, if you ran up to a sheep with enough aggression, you could cause it a worry syndrome and it would drop dead. Kind of a cool trick at the parties, but... But, but legit, it's, it's not a fainting goat. It's kind of like that, but it's a dying sheep, rather. It's a different trick that lasts longer. Like the sheep would just die. You could scare it to death because why? It has zero defense mechanism. Its only defense mechanism is I'm getting out of this world completely. Bye. Like that's it. It it, it can't provide for itself. It can't defend itself. It can't survive by itself. It it can't even face fear in the face. It, It will die. And he and the Bible says. That you and I are like sheep. And here's the craziest part about a sheep. Are you ready? The craziest part about a sheep is sheep still, when they do have a shepherd, when they do have something that takes care of them and someone that takes care of them, are still prone to wonder. Like they still leave the shepherd. They could be out in a field eating grass and they could still say, you know what? Over there, that looks better. Is there a cliff? I don't know. Is there like a wild animal that's going to scare me to death? I have no idea. 
but I don't think I need the shepherd anymore. And sheep still are prone to wonder. In fact, they are blind to their need for a shepherd. Hear that for a second. Sheep cannot be convinced that they actually need a shepherd. And then the Bible would say, and you and I are much like sheep. In the way we respond, in the way that, that, that mentally and spiritually and emotionally, he says, man, you are much like sheep. Like if you've ever looked at life and thought, man, there's a lot going on, but I can handle this. I don't think I need anybody telling me what to do. I don't need authority over me. I don't need my parents to like be guarding me. Like I'm grown. I can do this. And then maybe you even stopped and you said, and you probably pounded your chest as you did it. I got this. I don't know if you did that, but it'd be pretty legit if you did. But if you've ever had that moment, then you can relate to what it feels like to be a sheep. Where us knowing the, the, the needs of a sheep, us seeing how defenseless a sheep is, we would say, bro, why would you ever leave the shepherd? Why would you ever walk away? But yet he says, me and you, we're a lot like these sheep that we can't be convinced that we actually need a shepherd. And what God's word says is there's, there's actually a real enemy that Satan actually exists. <clears throat> that Satan's whole goal is to pull you from Jesus. And here's the thing about Satan, is he's much more powerful than you. He's much wiser and smarter than you. He's much more de deceptive than you. He has a lot more endurance than you do. He, 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 he's so much more stronger and outlasting than you are. He's so much more clever than you are. That there's really a real enemy <clears throat> And compared to him, he says, man, we are like sheep. That we're like sheep. That we think we can go take care of ourselves. We think we could find what we need. We think we can, can protect ourselves. And he says, no, 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 no. There's an enemy out there that's much greater. And in fact, you, you can't. Man, I... I would love, I would love that tonight to be just this moment where, where we would stop and pause for a second. <clears throat> and we would just simply look up. And we would look to the Father. And we'd simply consider, man, if I'm like sheep, if I'm like a sheep, and how have I been prone to wonder from him? That we would stop and look up and we would just see, man, maybe, maybe, maybe I've wandered a little bit. Maybe I'm not standing in the presence of, of the Father. Maybe, maybe I'm not, not really right with God. And, and here's what I need you to know. Just because you're here tonight does not mean you actually are in the presence of the Father spiritually in your life. Like, just because you're here doesn't mean that you call Jesus your shepherd. Doesn't mean that you know. It could still mean you are a shepherdless sheep. On a soul level, we would just look and see. 
Like that this would be a night that you would kind of mark. That would be my hope for you. See, there's a promise in this. Like, though we are sheep, though we are like that and defenseless, he says, man, Jesus says, there's a promise for you, though. Like, I'm not leaving you alone. In John uh, chapter 9, John records the gospel from his perspective. And in chapter 9, he, he talks about this moment where Jesus sees this blind man. And this blind man's chilling, and, and he's uh, blind. Uh, he's not seeing nothing. And, and Jesus comes up to the blind man and because he had compassion on the blind man like just just so you know that whatever your needs are like Jesus sees that and he has compassion on that he had compassion on the blind man he says he heals the blind man and the blind man can see well well well, the blind man goes to uh, the synagogue to the temple the only problem with this whole situation is that Jesus healed them on a Sabbath. And they believe that the Sabbath was a day you didn't do any kind of work. Even if you saw someone in need, you did not ser- serve them and help them because that would be considered work. And so you, you didn't do anything for the sake of the Sabbath, of keeping it holy. And they had it kind of mixed up. I think we should still take a Sabbath. We should still take a moment of rest and a day of rest where we may say like, God, let me just enjoy all that you've given me. Let me not strive. But it's not where we don't help people. And so Jesus heals this man. The man walks into the temple and he sees the priests, the Pharisees there, these religious leaders. And he says, man, I've been healed. And they said, dude, who healed you on the Sabbath? And they try to get this man to convince them, or they try to convince this man to say that Jesus is a sinner and that he did something wrong. But the man, you need to understand this, has never seen in his life. And so now he's seeing. So he's not so hung up on all of the religious things that they're doing. Because he's like, bro, I don't really care. But dude, I can see your like ugly mug. Like, man, I, I see what's happening. Who cares when it happened or even who did it? Dude, I can see. And he won't call Jesus a sinner. And he won't claim that this man did something wrong. And in fact, instead, he turns around and he looks at him and he says, no, this man is no sinner. He did something even you couldn't do. So not only is he not a sinner, he's better than you. And obviously, we don't like being told that someone's better than us. And so this guy, the the priests get, get so angry with him, they cast him out. Well, when they cast him out, it's not just like, hey, man, get out of my church. It's like, hey, you've got to leave the place where the whole community will meet. You've got to leave the place where all your friends go. You've got to leave the place your family goes to, and your family's got to leave you. That they've got to disown you. So, so literally, if you get cast out of the temple, you're cast out of society. This is a big deal, all because he was healed by Jesus on the Sabbath. So now this gift of sight is bittersweet because he can see, but he has no one to tell it about. This man was at a crossroads. He was at a crossroads from uh, one way of, of being obedient and experiencing the obedience of Jesus and the other way of being disobedient to what Jesus may call him to do or call him to say for the sake of culture. Because he didn't want to face the consequences that maybe being obedient to Jesus would cause. This is the place. What happened to this man 
is the same fear that controls a lot of us from fully committing to Jesus. I need you to hear this for a second. What happened to this man is what prevents a lot of us from fully committing to Jesus. That we don't fully commit when it seems like the fear of obedience and the consequences of obedience is greater than the blessings of obedience. So let let me say that again. We don't fully commit when it seems that the consequences of our obedience is greater than the blessing of obedience. And so because we fear the consequences of being obedient to Jesus, we don't want to commit and fully commit to, to finding the blessings in Jesus. Like, just, this is not even in my notes, but like Katie's uh, testimony, Katie Hastings' testimony, if you don't know her, she's one of our leaders. Man, her t- old testimony, she quit her job out of obedience to the Lord. Like, like God calls us to do things and be things and, and do some things that, that are scary sometimes. That God called me out of Texas to move to Virginia. I mean, you better believe that, that was terrifying for me. Especially because Texas is just the best place to live ever. That God's going to call you to do some things. And it's at this crossroads where you've got to decide, is the fear of being obedient to Jesus greater than the blessings of being obedient to Jesus? Like are the consequences, are they outweighing the potential blessings I see? Now remember, we're like sheep and we don't get to see all the blessings. For some of you, that might mean like a relationship issue where, where you know your relationship is a right and you say, man, I want to fully commit to following Jesus, but I'm, I'm scared of ending the relationship because the consequences of ending the relationship might be greater than any blessing I can see Jesus providing. Maybe it's just simply like, man, you know that person in your lunchroom that, that the Lord's been like, man, I'm just calling you to go love that person and talk to that person, but you know they're kind of weird and they're kind of an outcast. And you're like, man, the consequences of being obedient to Jesus and what people will think of me and how I may lose my friends, they're going to be angry with me, outweigh the blessings I can see Jesus giving me. It's this crossroads in life. Where if you fully commit to Jesus, eyes right here, you need need to hear this so clearly. If you fully commit to following Jesus, often it's going to mean worldly consequences. But here's the thing. The blessings Jesus gives, whether you can see it or not, will always outweigh the worldly consequences. But you've got to convince your mind, and that's what faith is, to say, God, I'm trusting you. That the blessings of, your, of me following you are going to be greater than the consequences. And you may not even see it right away. It may not happen immediately. You may, you, you may struggle for a minute, but there's blessing in the obedience. And it was at this crossroad where this man stood. But you need to understand, here's, the, here's the, the beauty of Jesus. It's at the crossroads in our life. It's at that place in our life that we get to see the heart of Jesus. It's at that place when we say, all right, Jesus, like, here it is. Like, do I, do I stand in fear and, and, and follow the world and to be disobedient? Or Jesus, do I follow you in obedience? And it's in those moments we get to see Jesus' heart. It says in John 9, 35, that Jesus had heard what happened to this man. 
that he heard the man had been outcast, that he heard the man was, was, had this awesome miracle, but now had, had no one. And so what you see happen is Jesus then searches this man out. He doesn't leave him. He doesn't like, bro, homie's on his own. He searches the man out. It says, then he has this conversation where he invites him into his kingdom. He says, man, they just casted you out of their kingdom. Do you want to enter my kingdom? He gives the man eternal life in that moment through that man's faith and through Jesus's grace. The man finds life in Christ. That the blessing of his obedience eternally outweighed the consequences that the world would throw at him. Like, just hear that for a second. Like, like that's a big deal. Like, he had eternal blessing over very limited consequences. See, that man, I believe today, stands in the presence of the Father and rejoices. And all the consequences of what they had to throw at him in those moments are over. And they've been over for thousands of years. But yet, this man stands full sight in the presence of God, blessed that he invites this man in. These Pharisees hear about this conversation and they begin to address Jesus. In John 10, it said that Jesus said again to him, truly I tell you, he says, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to him. You got to know he's looking at the blind man, but the sheep didn't listen to him. He says, but I'm the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come and go out and find pasture. This is the image of a free range sheep. My dad has chickens. And what happens when you get a new chicken is you got to throw the chicken in the coop. You got to shut that coop and then just only feed it and leave it in the coop for like three or four days. And on the fourth day, you can open the coop up. And what's going to happen is the chicken's going to come out. He's going to graze around the yard. He's going to have himself a time. And when the sun starts to set, you can walk back to that coop. You don't have to go chase the chicken. You don't got to go find it and throw it back in. No, you can go shut the, shut the uh, coop with, with um, confidence, knowing that the chicken is back in the coop where it's safe. That the chicken learns that the coop is a place where it's safe and where it's comfortable and where its needs are provided for. And so you don't have to chase them around and be like, no, get back to safety. It knows where it's safe. He says, and this is the picture. He says, this is how I shepherd my sheep. I'm the gate that keeps the sheep safe. That I give you life, not just now, but also eternally. He says, and nothing can rob you of that when I'm the gate. And then he goes on in verse 10. He says, a thief comes only to kill, still kill and destroy. He says, but I've come that they may have life and have it in abundance. He says, remember, man, we're sheep. And Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And you're defenseless against that. You're defenseless against that. I'm defenseless against that. He says, but I've come that they may have life. And he goes on. He says, and here's your need for a shepherd. Because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He says, but what? In verse 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for, his, for the sheep. It's this picture of our present, eternity, our present and our eternity. 
He says, man, I'm the good shepherd that I've laid my life down for you and I lay my life down for you continually to protect you, to guard you. He goes on and he paints this picture real quick in verse 12 and 13. We're gonna end right here. He says, in the hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, he leaves them and he runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. This is an important note here. Jesus says there's two kinds of people in the sheep's life. There's a shepherd and there's a hired hand. Now, here's what a hired hand was. A shepherd would be like, bro, I got to go into town. I need somebody to watch my sheep. Here's a couple bucks. Watch my sheep. Now, what would happen is a wolf would come or something bad would come onto the sheep where the shepherd, I mean, the hired hand would have to decide, do I protect the sheep or do I run away? I'm sure they'd pull out the money and they'd look and they'd be like, man, a couple bucks. Ah, oh, that's a wolf. Bro, not worth it. I'm out. And they would leave. It says, and the wolf would ravage and tear the sheep apart. He says, but I'm the good shepherd. I lay myself down for the sheep. Now, here's the, here's the thing. He doesn't describe a hired hand and say, you can identify a hired hand by what they say or what they wear or, what they, or, 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 or how they speak. He says, no, the difference, listen, the difference in a hired hand and the good shepherd is how they respond to the distress of the sheep. And he says, a, a hired hand runs away when the sheep are distressed and a good shepherd stays and defends the sheep and protects the sheep and lays his life down for the sheep. Now, this is important. And I think he points this out in this way because there's a lot of things in our life, students, that make themselves out to be a really good shepherd for us. There's the things that we believe are the gate that protect us. There's the things that we believe will give us all we need, whether that is relationships or friendships, whether that is social media following, or whether that is our grades or our sports, whatever that is, we, we have this tendency to say, man, if this just continues to happen, man, this is my good shepherd. This gives me what I need my own abilities, my own confidences. He says, those things are hired hands. He says, in the moment of distress, they flee. He says, but I'm the good shepherd and I never run away. And so the moment, the, the, the question I want to leave you with then tonight is simply, what are you allowing to shepherd your important moments? Do you recognize that Jesus says, here's the role I want to play in your life. And I want to be a good shepherd to you. The one that, that provides for you and gives you what you need. For Jesus to be a good shepherd means that you allow him to be in a position in your life where you get your direction and your directives. So hear that one more time. For Jesus to be a good shepherd in your life, it means you've put him in a place where you're saying, Jesus, tell me where to go. Tell me where to go. And Jesus, tell me how to go. How do you want me to be on this football team? How do you want me to be on this cheerleading squad? How do you want me to be in my math class? How do you want me to be in this relationship? Jesus, tell me whether I should stay on this team or, or not. Tell me whether I should go here or not. Tell me where to go and tell me how to go. To put Jesus in that position is to make him your good shepherd. So the question then is, what are you allowing to shepherd your important moments? Things that you really value. Where are you getting your direction and your directives? There's only one good shepherd. 
anything else, you better believe is a hired hand. That there's not a competing shepherd that's ever as good as Jesus. He says, man, I'm the good shepherd to you. And I love you. And I've shown it because I've laid my life down for you. I'm gonna pray for us. God, we love you. We thank you for this time to have this conversation about who you are. God, you are the good shepherd. Give us clarity. Would we see the position we put you in in our life and the position we need to put you in in our life? God, will we recognize the hired hands in our life? The things we're leaning on that aren't you. God, would you be in a place to give us our direction and our directives? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.